Well, good morning and happy Sabbath to each one of you. And it's good to be here with you today. I want to give a special welcome to my mother today who's visiting. Today is her birthday, so it's good to have her here. And I look on that row, I see all the important women in my life, my mother, my wife, my two daughters, and my sister. You know, when I was growing up, I was one of three brothers, and my dad was around, and my mom was outnumbered. And finally, our sister came along. But now I kind of know what it's like for my mom, who was surrounded by men. I'm a man surrounded by women. <laughs> but God knew what he was doing, and I'm very blessed. So, and then tomorrow's my wife's birthday, so it's a nice weekend for our family. So we're thankful that everyone's here this week. And before we get into our message for this morning, I would invite you to bow your heads with me for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your blessings that you give to each one of us. And I just pray now that you would give me words to speak that will bring honor and glory to you, that Jesus will be lifted up, that I will be lost sight of, and that each one of us will will gain something from this message that will help us in our walk with Christ. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. The title for our message this morning is Truth Triumphant. Some of you may be familiar with a book written by B.G. Wilkinson. Well, I was fortunate enough to come across an original copy that Pastor Schomburg's father had owned, and he had donated it to the Pathfinder, so I snagged a copy that nobody else seemed to notice at um, actually when the bookmobile came by because I didn't go by the Pathfinder cell, but I still made a donation to the Pathfinders. But anyway, this is a very good book. It's a powerful book that details the story of God's church in the wilderness during the 1,260 years. Revelation chapter 12, which we read part of that for our scripture reading this morning, details much of the history in an overview description of the struggles that God's faithful people went through during the 1,260 years. And through it all, truth was triumphant as God's faithful saints who loved Jesus so much were willing to stand for truth even at the risk of their lives. In Great Controversy, page 41, we read, Under the fiercest persecution, these witnesses for Jesus kept their faith unsullied. Though deprived of every comfort, shut away from the light of the sun, making their home in the dark but friendly bosom of the earth, they uttered no complaint. With words of faith, patience, and hope, they encouraged one another to endure privation and distress, the loss of every earthly blessing could not force them to renounce their belief in Christ. Trials and persecutions were but steps bringing them nearer their rest and their reward. And it makes me wonder, when you look at such faithful saints, such faithful Christians, during such a long period of history where they were subjected to persecution, 
we're told that the loss of every earthly blessing could not force them to renounce their belief in Christ. And I have to ask myself, and I think we should all ask ourselves, how strong is my faith in Christ? How strong is my belief in Christ that I would be willing to lose every earthly blessing to hang on to what I have in Jesus? Because that is what it really means to be a Christian. To hold on to Jesus even if we lose everything else. No matter what trials or persecutions we may be going through. No matter what loss, no matter what difficulty we may be facing because of our belief in Christ, we will hold on to him. You know, there's something special about falling in love with Jesus. And when you fall in love with the Jesus of Scripture, you become willing to die for him and for everything that he stands for. You know, there's a lot of different ideas that are out there in the world about who Jesus is, and sometimes as Christians we don't even always represent Christ as well as we could to the world. But one thing that we know for sure is that Jesus died for us. Jesus loved us. Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus says of himself in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When we learn to fall in love with the Jesus of Scripture, we find in Jesus a way of life a way of living, the way that Jesus lived here on this earth. And we see in Jesus the truth. And when we see that Jesus is the truth, we understand that because Jesus also describes himself as the word of God, we understand that everything that the Bible says, every truth that the Bible describes, gives us a better comprehension of who Jesus is. When we fall in love with Jesus, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is our Savior and Redeemer, we will be willing to forego every earthly blessing as we hang on to our Savior, the Jesus of Scripture. In fact, Jesus says, not only am I the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 13, and I invite you to turn there, in John chapter 16, in verse 13, Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. That is the promise that Jesus has given us regarding the Holy Spirit. And certainly, if Jesus is the truth, then the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to Jesus who is the truth. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us to the truth as it is in Jesus. And just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will reprove or convince the world of sin and of righteousness 
and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So as we fall in love with the Jesus of Scripture and as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we find that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And we will find that as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we will find that truth is not relative, that truth in Scripture is plainly understood. And that Jesus has made truth clear enough so that we can understand what the way is that we should walk in. And the Holy Spirit, who leads us to Jesus, has a work to do in the lives of the believers, because we are all growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are things in our lives that the Holy Spirit points out so that we can have an understanding of what things we may need to put away as we grow in our walk with Jesus. We see that the Holy Spirit convinces the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That tells me that a spirit-filled church will be a place where those who stand in the pulpit will not be afraid to call sin by its right name. And that friends in the church who see other friends going in a way that's contrary to the word of God will not be afraid to lovingly say, this is not the way. This is, this is not the way to walk in. Because a true friend will tell you when you're not going in the right path. A spirit-filled church will not be afraid to call sin by its right name. And a spirit-filled church will proclaim the righteousness of Christ with the love of Jesus and of the reality that we are living in the hour of God's judgment. And that really connects with the three angels' messages of the everlasting gospel, of the good news of the righteousness of Christ and of the, the fact that we're living in the hour of God's judgment. You know, as I thought about this message and as I thought about the church in the wilderness who was willing to forego every earthly blessing, to hang on to their faith in Christ, you think of those who were persecuted. And my wife's parents lead a tour through Europe every year that goes through some of these places where the Walden Seas were hiding in caves from those who were persecuting them, but who were willing to hang on to their faith no matter what. It made me wonder, why am I a follower of Jesus today? What is it about Jesus that causes me to follow all of the truths in Scripture as I understand them to be? And to take it a step further, why am I a Seventh-day Adventist? Why are you a Seventh-day Adventist? You know, when you look at Revelation chapter 12, we see a controversy that begins in heaven. There is war in heaven. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. And verse 8 says, And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So there was this controversy that starts in heaven. This is well known to us. It's nothing new. But that controversy comes down to this earth. And the amazing thing, if you think about it, is that Jesus was willing to inject himself personally into this controversy. 
he came as a human being. And that's what Revelation 12 starts talking about. This woman clothed with the sun and the moon up, uh, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And Christ is the child that the woman is travailing in birth and is pain to be delivered of. Christ is that child. Now, most people in their right mind try to stay away from controversy. And Christ, if he didn't love us so much, would have stayed up in heaven and would not have bothered to inject himself into the controversy that he knew he would be injected into by coming to this earth because scripture makes it very clear that from the very moment that Christ was born, the dragon or the devil and Satan tried to destroy him. And if you want to think of the worst face of evil on this earth, imagine some kind of a monster who would try to snatch a newborn baby out of a mother's arms and put that baby to death. Scripture says that's the way Satan was when he tried to destroy Christ. But Christ and his father loved the world so much that Christ came to this earth and was delivered and was a conqueror and was caught up to God and to his throne. And then we see, starting in verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. This is the 1260 years during the great controversy where the woman, which represents God's church, flees into the wilderness and through that period of time, the truth of God is preserved by faithful saints who love Jesus so much that rather than compromising the truth of God's word, they were willing to, if necessary, die for their faith. And the controversy continues all the way down to verse 17, and this is the, the final battle in the controversy where you will, if you will, where Satan the dragon is enraged with the woman or God's church and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you haven't thought of it this way, but every once in a while as a Seventh-day Adventist, you need to be reminded of the reality that as a member of God's remnant church, which keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ, we are a focal point in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. That the devil is directing his attacks against those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ because such a church, such a woman who lives in such a way is a direct threat to the claims that Satan is making in the controversy against God. God raised up the remnant of the seed of the woman, the Seventh-day Adventist movement, for a very special purpose. God raised up this movement not to be another church along the many that dot the theological landscape, as good as they may be, because when we understand scripture and we understand Revelation 13, an end time deception is coming. And all of us are in the same boat as the rest of the world. We're all saved by grace through faith. So we're not better than anyone else. And in fact, when you read Revelation 3 and the Laodicean church, we're in actually not a very good condition. But God raised up Adventism as a church to proclaim the law of God and who would have the testimony of Jesus Christ 
because it is through these truths of Scripture that point back to Jesus, who is the truth, that will save many who would be otherwise deceived at the end of this world. And so God has given us a very special work to do. We are in the middle of a great controversy. And God has called upon us to be faithful men and women who will follow Christ no matter what. I want to read a a statement to you from Prophets and Kings, page 148. The Lord abhors indifference and disloyalty in a time of crisis in his work. The whole universe is watching with inexpressible interest the closing scenes of the great controversy between good and evil. Sometimes it's helpful to remember that the universe is watching what happens here on this earth. Continuing, the people of God are nearing the borders of the eternal world. What can be of more importance to them than that they be loyal to the God of heaven? All through the ages, God has had moral heroes, and he has them now, those who like Joseph and Elijah and Daniel are not ashamed to acknowledge themselves his peculiar people. Now you think about these three examples. Joseph, of course, was approached by the wife of Potiphar, and to all human appearances, he could have gotten away with what she was proposing that they do, but he knew that God was watching, and he loved God so much that he was not afraid to stand for what was right. And Elijah was called by God as a prophet of God to proclaim a message that was unpopular when all of Israel was worshiping Baal. On Mount Carmel, he says, How long haul ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, worship him. But if Baal, then follow him. And of course, Daniel and his three friends who could have figured that they could have eaten the king's food and meat and could have asked for forgiveness later. Daniel's three friends could have bowed down to the image and figured God would have forgiven them later, but we wouldn't be talking about them now if they had lived such a way. They all lived to give honor and glory to God's name through the grace of Jesus. Continuing with the statement, it says, his special blessing accompanies the labors of men of action, men who will not be swerved from the straight line of duty, but who with divine energy will inquire who is on the Lord's side. Men who will not step merely with the, who will not stop merely with the inquiry, but who will demand that those who choose to identify themselves with the people of God shall step forward and reveal unmistakably their allegiance to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Such men make their wills and plans subordinate to the law of God. For love of him they count not their lives dear unto themselves. Their work is to catch the light from the word and let it shine forth to the world in clear, steady rays. Fidelity to God is their motto. And I like that last sentence. Fidelity to God is their motto. What's the motto of our life? Is it fidelity to God? Because when we love Jesus with all of our hearts, we want to be faithful to him. As I said earlier, we are in a great controversy, and Revelation 12 makes that very clear. Revelation 12 shows the history of the devil attacking the woman, which is God's church, by trying to destroy Christ, and then we see that the woman flees into the wilderness, and then we see that the devil, which is the serpent, opens his mouth up like a flood and casts water out to try to destroy the woman, and then we see that the earth helps the woman, 
Prophetically, we understand that the earth from Revelation 13 is the United States of America, which has been a land of religious liberty and freedom. Thank God for the United States of America and for its religious liberty that we have. It may not last much longer, but we can be thankful for the time we still have in which to work. And we see that the final contest comes down to Satan attacking God's church, and it has two key identifying characteristics. It keeps the commandments of God, which includes the seventh-day Sabbath, and it has the testimony of Jesus Christ, which Revelation 19.10 identifies as the spirit of prophecy, and Revelation chapter 22, somewhere through verses 4 and 7, make that very clear. That's the prophetic gift. These are the two identifying characteristics that Satan hates most because the law of God is a transcript of the character of God. And every aspect of the Ten Commandments is holy, just, and good, as Romans 7, verses 9 through 14 identify. And so anything that identifies with the holiness and the justness of God enrages Satan. And the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy is God's special gift that he has given to his end-time remnant church, which, as Scripture says here, is the testimony of Jesus. It's interesting that this final controversy in many ways comes down to these two identifying characteristics because having grown up in the church and having been to many different places, I have often found that the two elements of Adventism that are least favored or appreciated are obedience and the testimony of Jesus. But these are the identifying characteristics that show that our heart is on the Lord's side, that we have given our lives fully to Jesus. As John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Sometimes we think that despite what the Bible says, we know better. Now I have a story about this that I find to be quite interesting. And this is about my two little daughters, Sarah and Monica. It was actually just yesterday at lunch that we had a little um, discussion about the fastest way to Pulaski from our house. Now, I've very much appreciated the new bypass that has come in from the west side of town. So I actually go out the back way and take that over to Pulaski because I work there every Wednesday. And I have found that it saves me about two minutes, which that's not a lot, but, you know, when you are running late to work, two minutes helps a little bit. So Sarah Lynn and Annika prefer to go through town and take Weekly Creek over to Springer and then take Old 64 past Brass Lantern all the way to the bypass. And we try to explain to them it might be shorter distance-wise, but it's longer time-wise. No, it's not. No, it's not. And they would not let it go. I mean, it went on for 15 minutes. And finally, we said, you know what? We're off. It's Friday afternoon. Let's just do an experiment just for fun because I find these kind of things to be fun to do. So Joel and Sarah drove in one car, and myself and Annika drove in the other car. I took the bypass, and they took Weekly Creek and Springer. And sure enough, I got there first. (laughs) Two minutes and 26 seconds early. Yes, I was counting. So my daughters were very disappointed. The funny thing is, Sarah said, well, when I'm old enough to drive a car, I'm still going to take Weekly Creek. (laughs) 
you know, Scripture says there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. Now, it's not wrong to take Weekly Creek, you know that. But um, sometimes even when God makes it clear and he demonstrates it to us, we will say, I'm going to do it my way anyway. And God has, in his great mercy to each one of us, come down to this earth through Jesus, his son, and died for each one of us so that we can have a way of salvation. And he has given us an example that we can follow him. And when we look at the lives of the faithful moral heroes, as we read about earlier, who lived throughout history, when they came to key decision points in their lives, they realized that the honor of God's name was at stake in the decisions that they were making. And rather than asking, can I get away with this and still get into heaven, they were asking, will this honor God's name? Now we understand that God is merciful, God is loving, and God is forgiving. And if we make mistakes, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We understand that and we promote that and the grace of God, none of us would be here without his grace. But all I'm saying is that God is looking for men and women today, moral heroes as of days gone by, who will be asking the question, not will I be able to get away with this and still get into the kingdom, but rather will this honor God's name by the decision that I am making? I want to read a statement to you from Great Controversy 489. If those who hide and excuse their faults could see how Satan exults over them, how he taunts Christ and holy angels with their chorus, they would make haste to confess their sins and to put them away. Through defects, defects in the character, Satan works to gain control of the whole mind. And he knows that if these defects are cherished, he will succeed. Now listen to this. Therefore, he is constantly seeking to deceive the followers of Christ with his fatal sophistry that it is impossible for them to overcome. But Jesus pleads on their behalf, his wounded hands, his bruised body, and he declares to all who would follow him, my grace is sufficient for thee. And Jesus even says to the Laodicean church, to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame... Overcame. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that the way you're living your life is the way it has to always be. Jesus has something far better for each one of us. When we look at the church in the wilderness and when we look at God's last day church, we see something very powerful in verse 11. Verse 11 of Revelation chapter 12 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So there will be a group of people. There was a group of people during the church of the wilderness, and there is going to be a group of people living at the end of earth's history who overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So not only does the blood of the lamb bring forgiveness for the sins of our past, which is absolutely necessary for us to enter into the gates of heaven, but through the blood of the lamb, that in empowers us to live lives that produce a testimony that is a contradiction to the claims of Satan that we cannot keep the commandments of God. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, we can overcome by the grace of God. 
couple of uh, a couple more statements, and then we'll be done here. This is from Child Guidance, page 430. Human reasoning has ever sought to evade or set aside the simple, direct instructions of the Word of God. In every age, a majority of the professed followers of Christ have disregarded those precepts which enjoin self-denial and humility, which require modesty and simplicity of conversation, deportment, and apparel. The result has ever been the same. Departure from the teachings of the gospel leads to the adoption of the fashions, customs, and principles of the world. Vital godliness gives place to a dead formalism. The presence and power of God withdrawn from those world-loving circles are found with a class of humble worshipers who are willing to obey the teachings of the sacred world. Word. Through successive generations, this course has been pursued. One after another, different denominations have risen and yielding their simplicity have lost in a great measure their early power. And if you study the history, you will find that the early Christian church was a persecuted church, but then the pagans came in and they compromised with the pagans and the persecution ceased for those who compromised, but it didn't for those who remained faithful. And this is the last statement that I'm going to read and we're going to wrap up. This is great controversy 483 there is another and more important question that should engage the attention of the churches of today the apostle paul declares that all that will live godly in christ jesus shall suffer persecution that's second timothy 3:12. why is it then that persecution seems in a great degree to slumber the only reason is that the church has conformed to the world standard and therefore awakens no opposition the religion which is current in our day is not of the pure and holy character that marked the Christian faith in the days of Christ and his apostles. It is only because of the spirit of compromise with sin, because the great truths of the word of God are so indifferently regarded, because there is so little vital godliness in the church that Christianity is apparently so popular with the world. Let there be a revival of the faith and power of the early church and the spirit of persecution will be revived, and the fires of persecution will be rekindled. You know, I have to ask myself, do I have that faith and power in my life that the early church had? Twelve apostles took the gospel in that generation to the then-known world because they had apostolic early reign Pentecostal power. And God is looking at his last day church today and he is longing to pour out his latter reign power on his last day church so that we can go forth to the world with great power and authority so that the world can see that we have been with Jesus. Let me tell you something, friends. The world could only stand the ministry of Jesus for three and a half years. And while we are not to be obnoxious in our faith, and trust me, I've met many obnoxious Christians and Adventists who are in their zeal pushing forward things that are done in a way that is not winsome. We don't want to be like that, but we also don't want to compromise the truth as it is in Jesus, because when we compromise the truth as it is in Jesus, we have compromised Jesus himself. 
And when Jesus looks to pour out his power and his spirit upon his people, he will do so among those who are like Joseph and Elijah and Daniel, moral heroes who are willing to stand for the right though the heavens fall, who are not afraid to call sin by its right name, but who will do so with the love and the grace and the mercy and the meekness of Jesus. And my friends, that is my prayer for myself and for this church, for this community and for our world church, that God will pour out his spirit in our hearts and that truth the truth as it is in Jesus and Jesus who is the truth will truly be triumphant in each of our lives amen let's bow our heads for prayer father in heaven we thank you for your love and mercy to each one of us we ask for forgiveness for where we have fallen short where we have compromised where we've made excuses but we just thank you that you are merciful, that you are gracious, that you are forgiving, and I pray that you will empower us to allow your truth to triumph in our hearts as we see everything that Jesus has done for us, that it will melt our hearts, and that as we love him, we will follow him and keep his commandments through the grace of Jesus so that we will be a demonstration of what the power of God can do through weak, sinful, mortal human beings. So we thank you for your love and your grace to us and go with us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.